welcome to the Airline Weekly Lounge. I'm your host, Edward Russell, and this week I'm joined by my co-host, Jay Shabat, to discuss the Routes World Conference in Istanbul and earnings at American United. Enjoy. Hey, Jay. How are you doing this week? I'm good, Ned. I uh, understand that uh, you were in a very interesting place this week. Yes, I am fresh off the plane from the Routes World Conference in Istanbul. It was uh, it was held Sunday, Monday, Tuesday there, and I had a lot of great conversations with airports, airlines, the advisors that talked to all of them. It's a uh, yeah, it's a really fun event. Yeah, cool. Any uh, any particular person or airline group that you uh, spoke with learned anything interesting to share? Well, I think top of mind for most people is you know planning at this event. And this is an event for those unfamiliar where we're basically it's uh it's been described as speed dating for you know airports and airlines. <laughs> they they meet, they sit down for like 15 minutes and talk about, "Oh, you should fly, you know, airports say, "Oh, Air- airline X, you should fly this route to my airport and why." And so the conversations for the most part were are about looking at 2025 because 2024 schedules, at least long haul, are are mostly sets. But airports are eager to get flights back, especially long haul flights, uh, international, which has been very profitable. But, you know, the truth is, in a lot of discussions, uh, aircraft, the, the the supply chain limits that we've talked about on the podcast and written about in the issue really are are limiting what airlines can do at this point. You know, they they've only got so many planes coming. They don't know how how quickly Airbus or Boeing are going to be able to rectify their problems. Um, and then, of course, there's the engine issue that's affecting next year. So, Growth is not as, you know, robust as I think the industry would like, but maybe that's good because there's, of course, the economic, uh, you know, continuing economic concerns globally. And the Middle East conflict in Israel uh, is uh, was definitely something that came up a lot. And that is localized, not expected to affect, say, transatlantic demand between Europe and, and North America. But for airlines flying in the region, it is something that they're watching closely. I mean, while I was there uh MEA Middle Eastern Airlines it had to evacuate their fleet out of Beirut because there's concerns that the conflict could expand from Israel to the Lebanon. So it's uh you know there there was a lot of good conversations but there's a, a still a lot of concerns. Yeah, yeah, and you wonder uh to what extent the um yeah, the, re- the recent events in the Middle East will carry over into long-haul international travel, you know, more broadly. Uh, I don't United kind of spoke to that a little bit and they said, no, not really. It's, you know, our Tel Aviv market is affected, but, um, you know, not Europe, not everywhere else. But uh, yeah, yeah, we'll see. Yeah. But, you know, the greater thing is like, what if oil prices go up? Um, You know, that could definitely hit airlines profitability and Pegasus Airlines CEO. And I'm not going to try to pronounce her name because I know I will butcher it. Mm -hmm. She spoke that demand for Turkey, for example, is still very strong and they're growing a lot. But she is watching the situation uh, in in Israel and the Middle East because that is right on their doorsteps and that could affect them. Uh, Turkish Airlines, they didn't speak at the event, but, you know, they they were one of the largest foreign airlines in Israel, and they've suspended all flights. So it's definitely on their radar. Oh, one of the fun things that I did listen to, speaking of Turkey, was, you know, Istanbul is this booming market that has seen so much capacity come in, but 
Pegasus Airlines CEO, she was saying how yields are actually starting to come down because a lot of airlines have jumped on that bandwagon. And now, you know, even though visitor numbers are up and people want to go to Turkey and the market's booming, airlines are adding flights faster than it's booming. And, you know, like we keep saying, when supply outstrips demand, fares come down. But uh, Pegasus still thinks it's going to post one of its record, another, maybe not record, but impressive, globally impressive profit margins, Jay, that I'm sure you'll you'll fill us in on when they when they do post that. Yeah, yeah, no, sure. That's all interesting. And uh, Turkey has been a, a superstar market in the post-pandemic era. Um, and for that matter, even pre-pandemic, uh, just tremendous amount of growth there. Huge tourist market, just to ge- impeccable geography for just connecting all parts of the world. And uh, Except the, for Australia uh, so far. It's still so has, far, they so still far. do not have any flights to Australia, but that that is Turkish is working on that. Coming soon, right? Coming soon. Yes. I mean, that's one thing that I really wish that they had had at the event was a Turkish Airlines had talked more about their plans. But alas, we I, I tried to speak to their chairman, but he was busy while I was in town. So that did not happen. Still, it's a, it's a fascinating market. And the growth there is is really obvious. It is. And and just, uh, you know, one one aspect of that growth that just absolutely stuns me is how they've been able to add so many new routes to, to the United States. I mean, and, and the Americas more generally, but um, I mean, you're starting to see them put planes down in Detroit and Orlando and uh, what was the, I think there was one or two other secondary markets that they have coming. I mean, that's uh, that's something I never imagined that uh, a flight from Orlando to Tokyo could, could you know, that you could support that. But uh, that's just testament to the power of the Istanbul hub. Oh, absolutely. And the airport there is gorgeous. So this is my second time flying in and out of IGA Istanbul Airport. And it is a massive facility, you know, beautiful, good for connections. They got to work on their taxi times for arriving flights. I now have arrived twice on, I think, the furthest runway from the terminals and taxi times are lengthy, but still a very efficient connecting hub. And, you know, definitely is, I mean, it, it is the third Gulf connect, super connector after Dubai and Doha. So, and that, that definitely is obvious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, all good. Well, that sounds like a fascinating trip. It was a good trip. It was a good trip. And and listeners, you can read more on airline in the next issue of Airline Weekly. And uh, we are having I'm still filing stories that'll be on AW Daily. With that, we're going to take a quick break and we're going to talk about the world of airline earnings. we're back. So Jay, this week we've had United and American have reported. What are what are what are the highlights? Okay, I'll go, I'll read some numbers for everybody. So we had uh Delta as uh Delta went a week earlier and they came uh they came they delivered a 12.7% operating margin, 12.7. United came in right below 12.2. So 12.7 versus 12.2. So neck and neck with the uh, with the interesting aside here that Delta actually paid only two seventy eight per gallon for fuel, whereas United paid two ninety five. So you know quite a substantial difference there, and that probably has something to do with Delta. You know their their uh, refinery in Philadelphia may have helped with that. Uh, so the, you know the question, sort of the broader you know question here is, you know Delta has for many many years now been the profit leader among the big three. Uh, so is United, you know, catching Delta now? Now traditionally, United sort of has a better third quarter tends to be better for United than Delta. Just the nature of their they have a lot of East West flying that peaks in the third quarter. Uh, so I think it's too early to, you know, 
declare any declare United as uh, you know on the verge of surpassing Delta or anything like that. But uh, but that's kind of a horse race to watch. Now American, unfortunately, the the story is a little bit sadder there because they only uh, had a five point four percent operating margin. This is all, by the way, all excluding special items. They actually uh, American had a negative. Uh, they actually posted a number that was negative because of a, some pilot um, one time, one -time pilot. payment to their pilots and exactly. their pilots ratified a new new contract in August, which which we've mentioned. So right, yeah. but we yeah right, and that's uh, yeah we'll put that aside because um, that's not a recurring thing. But five point four percent. So why is American uh, underperforming Delta and United so much? You know, a couple of uh, suspects here. We um, I think the very biggest one is that American is quite a bit less international than Delta United, much more of a domestic heavy airline. And we know that international right now, particularly long haul international, is uh, just totally gangbusters or certainly was this summer. So American didn't participate in that segment as much and that kind of, they didn't have that tailwind. Um, the a couple of other things, I mean, Q3 does tend to be a little bit less uh, of a, you know, outperforming quarter for American. They do have a lot of north-south routes to South America, to Florida, you know, the Miami hub, and those tend not to peak in the summer. So there's that. One other thing that I found interesting, it's not the first time they've said this, but American in, in their call, which I which actually at this point we're talking, by the way, on Thursday morning at about 11 o'clock Eastern, um, and I have not had a chance to listen to the whole call yet. I listened to about half, and one of the things... Uh, that was said is that American is earning, I want to say 400 million. Let me see if I have it. Uh, yeah. So I'm giving you a quote here. Uh, um, we produced probably 400 million less in frequent flyer revenue than what the industry leader does right now, presuming they're talking about Delta with their American Express card. I think it's safe so, to say Delta is is the uh, <laughs> is the is the leader there. Right, I think we can say Delta is the leader now. United renegotiated their contract with uh, with J.P. Morgan Chase, so I think that's performing better now too than it was. United used to complain about that also. There's like, oh, Delta's making so much money, we're not, you know, we have a inferior economics, and I think they've renegotiated that. They haven't talked about it since, and so I assume that the uh, they're happy with the economics now. American clearly is not happy with their economics. I believe they work with City and Barclays both, and. Uh, they, it's, you know, I, I think they're clearly indicating that they want to renegotiate that. So we'll see. Now, 400 million, you know, on 13.5 billion in revenues just during this quarter. Uh, I wouldn't say that would, you know, that's that's the big difference there between them and Delta United. Uh, but perhaps, you know, if they can get that going. Now, all of that said, uh, it was, I mean, there's, there's no issues with demand in America. And they said domestic is... What is it? What they use? And it's the word I think, steady. Uh, the I think everybody's using the word steady. Steady, steady, exactly. And you know, I I want to reiterate for our, our listeners that you know after the surge in domestic travel that U.S. airlines have seen over the past two years, steady is is to be honest, good. That's still a strong number. It's probably just above 2019 levels. It's just the growth is has slowed down, especially as we wait for more corporate travel to come back. But yeah, steady was the word American and others used. Right. And then international doing great, premium doing great, both domestic and international. Uh, they Americans said now that they have their new pilots agreement, yes, it's more expensive in terms of compensation, you know, wages, benefits. 
They also, uh, as part of that contract, sounds like they have more flexibility uh, to uh, with train pilot training, and they kind of move move pilots through the system um, uh, a little bit more efficiently. And it sounds like that could help them rebuild some of their network that's uh, that has been lagging since you know post pandemic. I'm thinking of the regional network in particular. American has always been very bullish on the regional network. They said it's uh, you know there's a lot of these kind of small, smaller cities, smaller markets that uh, other you know Delta and United don't serve, Southwest doesn't serve. So they can sort of they they have a lot of market power there, and they can you know drive demand from those kind of places through their hubs onto international flights, et cetera. So I think American you know is. Telling, telling the investor community, you know, wait, wait for, you're going to see some upside there. Yeah. Um, no, I thought it was really funny in, in the part of the call, and I similarly haven't listened to all of it, how when asked about uh, the challenges sort of Americans facing in the short term, they, they very much pivoted and were like, oh, don't look at just the current quarter, you know, quarter by quarter is going to be ups and downs. Look at all these, these, you know, gains that we have coming and, and uh, Vasu Raja, chief revenue officer talked about exactly what you're saying. They, we have these regional planes that we're going to get flying again next year as first officers upgrade to captain at regional operators. And that's going to drive uh, you know, profit, uh, more profitability because these markets have higher fares, higher uh, you know, margins. And yeah, but it was funny how I was like, don't look at the current uh, current ups and downs. Look for right, more to come. And don't forget, too, that they just had their uh, alliance with the Northeastern Alliance with JetBlue busted up by the uh, by the feds. So they uh, are kind of rebuilding New York and Philly now. And uh, a lot of interesting. Yeah, it was, a, it was a good call. A lot of the uh, all the calls were good. The Delta United's call what, were good. What as well. did United say? You know, so we talked about domestic, but what about international? United is is the largest international, at least long haul international of the U.S. airlines. What did, what did United say? Well, United's call was was particularly interesting because they, uh, you know, they were uh, really bad mouthing uh, the the ultra low cost carriers. Um, not the oh. first time that Kirby has done that, but. Uh, yeah, they they really believe that there's been kind of a paradigm shift in the industry where because of all these supply side constraints and other reasons as well, the ultra low cost carriers are just that, that business model is broken. And I'm talking about Spirit Frontier. And if you'll recall about a month, you know, mid-September, Spirit Frontier came out. This was very, very bearish investor guidance. You're going to lose all sorts of money, whereas United's making all, you know, really good money. So that was a that was kind of a prominent theme in the call that I thought you know was very interesting, uh, but yeah, I mean the, the United is you know transatlantic incredibly strong, Trans-Pacific, incredibly strong. Um, I think domestic, as we said, you know steady, stable, um, premium, incredibly strong. Uh, so it's uh, and loyalty and even for Americans too. Actually, I think these loyalty programs too. Uh, all separate from the credit card. I mentioned American has you know some issues with that. Their credit, their co-branded credit card deal with the banks, but just the loyalty programs themselves for all three airlines, I think, are very very strong. I mean, people are signing up for the cards, and they're you know they're they're getting a lot of uh, the American, for example, mentioned that um, a lot more. If you look at their uh, the subset of their passengers who are you know elite frequent flyers, let's say Advantage, but they're they're the ones who are more likely to book their tickets direct, which American loves because it can, you know, market to them. It's cheaper. It's cheaper too. Yep. They don't have to pay the GDS fees, whatever. So 
Yeah, exactly. Uh, and even more than the, than the cost, it's I think it's it's revenue is very important too. They want to be able to control the you know have the direct relationship with the customer so they can you know market to them in, in their own way. So yeah, so I think that's that's been good. So United, um, yeah, all that's all that went really well for United. Just you know everything seems to be firing on all cylinders. And then they, uh, you know, United is interesting because they're very bullish on aircraft ordering. And, yes. uh, you know, there's a big, big industry debate about, you know, are they, uh, are they over, <laughs> over, uh, getting, getting too overzealous with their capital expenditure and aircraft? Uh, you know, I think there's, you know, I, I don't know. I like the whole debate. I'm just kind of like all these orders, it's a lot, but we know that airlines can spread them out, delay some planes, you know, there's a lot that can happen. These will not, I, I do not believe all of United's planes are going to arrive when they're scheduled to arrive today. Not to mention, and I've said this before, United is not as far along, at least on its narrow body replacement, as Delta or American are. American had billions of dollars in fleet replacement needs in the in the knots. And um, no, not in the knots, in the teens. And, you know, they're through that now. Delta has been doing it in a more metered fashion, but more continuously than United has. So I don't know. I, I'm not terribly concerned about that. You know, we could see a lot of these planes delayed if demand is not there. But United also has some very real aircraft replacement needs. For sure. And on the wide body, too. I mean, they, the wide body side, too. They still have like old 767s that they... Uh, I, I flew an old 767 yesterday. I mean, oh no. it's, it's, it does the job. <laughs> it, was, it was perfectly it was, fine. It was good, but. Yeah, okay. But um oh I actually I'm now curious when it was delivered. But um, you know, I was definitely on a twenty or plus year old plane. I have memories of flying a, a United seven four seven back from Beijing to I don't know where I was going, New York or whatever, and uh maybe Chicago. And uh it was just like a very old product. That was a couple of years ago. They don't fly those anymore, but um <laughs> you have to sometimes you have to worry about those old products. But no, it's good it's good to hear that the seven six seven was uh is 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 uh you know, met good customer standards. Because uh, yep, I know they yep. upgraded those. So, all right, yeah, it was you know, a twenty-three-year-old plane yesterday. That's 20. so a, a younger seven six seven as they go, but still, it was. Uh, yeah, there's, but you know, those planes need. To, I mean, a twenty-three-year-old plane now really has a useful life of about thirty years with a lot of maintenance. So, I mean, that's retirement by twenty thirty, if not sooner. So, you know, it definitely needs to do that. Yeah, yeah, and I always remind people too. It's not just the you know the when you replace a seven six seven with a seven eight seven. You're not only getting much, much better unit cost, you know, better fuel burn, better maintenance, all that, but you're also uh, you're getting uh, you know more range. You're getting a better uh, in-flight product. So it's uh, you know there's there's a lot of compelling reasons to to buy these new planes, which United is doing. And then on the narrow body side, interestingly enough, you know I think one sort of big theme for United's management is that you know we were totally flying way too many. 750, 70 seat regional jets that were just inappropriate for these, you know, very big hubs we have. And we want to get those out and put in, you know, full-size narrow bodies, um, the 321s, the maxes. And that, you know, has the virtue of uh, you know, really getting big unit cost. Uh, you know, the economics of that are going to be so much better. I mean, if you if you take yeah, you know. A seven three seven ten max versus uh you know a, a, a CRJ seven hundred or an E one seventy, I mean you're getting these huge chasm gains. That's a lot more seats to fill for sure, but they are also saying that you know we have this basic economy product where we can you know we don't have to 
we, we can charge the same fares as Spirit and Frontier and throw that person in the last seat of a, of a Max 10. And it's it's still like totally worth it for us. Probably if they leave some of those Max 10 seats open, it's still, you know, economically uh, they're better off. So, you know, their, their argument right. is, uh, is a good one. I mean, there's always, you know, the, the question of degree is it, should they have ordered fewer at it? Hard to say, but, uh, but you're right. I mean, your initial point is correct one. I think that we don't know exactly when they'll be delivered. I mean, it's, yeah, that's, they, they could be spread out over longer than, than, you know, than even United expects. <laughs> right. Exactly. Uh, what was I going to say? Um, and we've seen, oh, on the upgrade strategy, we've seen Delta do that over the past decade. I remember covering their their first, uh, their order yeah. for um, when they bought the 717s to retire CRJs in, what was it, 2012, 2013. So it's been a successful strategy. We know it works. Uh, United just has to implement it. And, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's coming for sure. And they've got, you know, some very strong hubs like Denver and, uh, Newark and Chicago, they can add seats and flow more people through and, and probably, you know, yeah, boost those revenues at a, at a low cost, you know? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think they, uh, they see a lot of international, uh, potential too. Um, and that one's maybe a little more suspect because you kind of wonder to yourself, can international ever be as good as it is now? You know, it, it kind of feels like the top of some yeah, sort of Yeah, when I, I, <laughs> I saw Kirby's comments there and I was like, ooh, international has, I mean, it goes through a lot more ups and downs than domestic does. So yes. booming now, but does that mean, you know, I, I remember, you know, Asia was was the leader for a while in the early 2010s and Asia was lagging and Europe was ahead and like it's just, and then Europe was under pressure from it's just it's I don't know but yeah all I right. my, old, my, old colleague, <laughs> my old colleague Seth Kaplan always used to say like you have to be careful because on, on you can lose a lot of money on international you know flying these really expensive wide bodies uh you know once something goes wrong in the Middle East or there's a you know, there's a, a bird flu episode in Asia or something and, you know, things can fall apart really fast and um, it's hard to deploy these, you know, redeploy these, uh, you know, really very big aircraft. So right. domestic right. tends to be a little more. I mean, if you look at all the most profitable airlines in the world and margin, they tend to fly just narrow bodies. I mean, you think the Copas of the world and the, you know, the Southwest Ryanair. and the Ryanairs and the EasyJets and uh, EasyJet, by the way, I, uh, we uh, that was a couple of weeks ago, but they were the only one, all the only other airline that's other than the big three that, as far as I know, that has uh, reported their Q3 results so far, and their their margin was twenty one percent, which sounds really, really, really high. It is, it's good, good margin, but um, just remember that that is a very, very seasonal airline. So you're gonna, you know, you're gonna have the super peaks in the summer, and then they're gonna, you're pretty much guaranteed to spill red ink in the winter. Um, and then at the end of the day, you just hope this, that, you know, the, the, the summer's, uh, the summer surplus was better than the winter deficits, but, um, and it should be, I mean, I think things are going well for EasyJet, but uh, we're not supposed to be talking about them, Ned, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, your comments about, about that sort of reminds me of American and, and telling analysts to, to look at the opportunities ahead and not quarter by quarter results. Cause I mean, I mean, you're right. American has made a big investment in being the largest domestic U.S. airline. Uh, they're not as big internationally and that might be bad this year or not bad is probably the wrong word. Not great. Let's say that. And, but like you said, domestic has over the long term has proven very durable. And so that speaks to American strategy probably will be good for it. Not probably will be good for it in the long run. Just right now. It's not that great. 
Yeah, you would think. I mean, there are certain, obviously, there have been periods in, you know, U.S. airline history where domestic has been very rough. So it's, uh, yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's a hard business wherever you are. But, right. But, yeah. Uh, but yeah, it is. I, my, my only point there was that, uh, yeah, if you're, if you're overly zealous about international, it's just important to keep in the back of your head that, uh, you know, as, as Seth would say, the, uh, you can lose a lot of money on international. Things yes. can turn for the worse very quickly. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, you know, United will say that, look, uh, during the pandemic, a lot of competitive, a lot of foreign competitors took a lot of capacity out, retired a lot of big planes like the A380s and, you know, they're well positioned to grow. And they'll also say that because, you know, one of the reasons why they're ordering so many of these planes is that, you know, Boeing and Airbus are going to be probably production constrained for many, many years. And if they're the only ones, you know, if they're in the front of the line getting 787s and nobody else can get them um, as fast as they can, well, that's a competitive advantage abroad too. So, uh, you know, add that to the the arguments for, for, for buying all these airplanes. Absolutely. Jay, with that, listeners, we're going to say goodbye now. Uh, listeners, you can reach us at you can reach me at er at skip.com. You can reach Jay at js at skip.com. Jay, always a pleasure. Always a pleasure. And I hope that we, uh, well, I'm going to see you, Ned, in Dallas, Dallas-Fort Worth uh, on November 1st for our aviation forum. And I hope to see a lot of our listeners and readers there. Uh, and um, yeah, be, there'll be a ton to talk about because we're going to have a lot more uh, airlines that have reported earnings by then. So uh, yeah, see you in Texas. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of the Airline Weekly Lounge podcast. Check out airlineweekly.com for a new issue every Monday and updates on the latest airline news throughout the week.